I learned in high school biology class that some plants grow taller as they turn to face the sun. The sunflower, for example, will track the sun through the sky during the day, and with every bend, it grows a little bit taller. When plants do what they're supposed to do, when they do what they're designed to do, well, you end up with fruit like this. The Christian life is supposed to be the same way. The Bible teaches us that we are supposed to have something to show for the fact that we belong to Jesus and that the Spirit of God is at work in our lives. Hi, my name is Ali. Um, I'm the new College and Young Adult Ministries Coordinator. <laughs> Our scripture reading this morning is found in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, friends. Hi, everybody. My name is Perry. I'm the middle school director here at Lake Avenue Church. Any middle schoolers in the room? Any middle schoolers? Oh, one of you. All right, awesome, sweet, just one. They came to the 9 o'clock. Two. <laughs> I'm Jeff Leo. And I'm the pastor for College and Young Adult Ministries, and a lot of you over there. Yeah. And together, we are Jerry Hawkins. We, we worked really hard on morphing that together. It's like a tag team wrestling name. You messed it up. Let's try it again. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. We are so excited to be preaching together uh, to bring the Word of God to you. Uh, Perry's been my friend for the last five years. True story. And we get to work together every day, and we have a lot of fun together in the office. Today, we're talking about Article 8, which is the doctrine of the Christian life. The fact that we get to love each other, to grow together, and to bear fruit with one another. And that's the privilege that I get to have with uh, Perry here over the last five years to hang out together, to go out and eat together, to work together, and to see God do incredible things together. And in the course of all of that, we have a lot of fun, and we do some crazy things. A little bit of mischief. I feel like Jeff and I are always giggling together. Like, as the video was playing, which if you didn't know, it was Jeff. Um, as the video was playing, at the end, he, ate, he said, amen. And I, and I said, did you just amen yourself? Like, you can amen yourself. Is What's that weird? That? So anyways, so there's a big rule in the office 
um, you're not supposed to leave any of your personal belongings out in the open, because if, if you do, things will happen to it. Um, Annie left her laptop out one time, and we put a bunch of pictures of uh, Burt Reynolds on her laptop. Any Burt Reynolds fans in here? One of you? Awesome. Great. Uh, so that's just the thing. You don't leave your stuff out. And so one time, Jeff left his keys out, um, and so I took his keys, and I thought, it, it might be a good idea if I move his car maybe to a, a different spot. So... <laughs> I don't think these things through. Okay, so I get his car and I move it to like from underground to way, way across in the parking lot to a different place. And then I forgot that I moved it. And so six hours later, here's what happens. Listen, Tuesdays are my long days. We, we get to hang out till like 11.30, 12 o'clock at night. And by that time, I just want to go home, see my wife and go to bed. So I go downstairs to the parking garage. And of course, my car's not there. Huh. I must have parked it in the parking lot. So I go up there into the parking lot, and I look around. Oh, my car's not here. And I start freaking out. Where's my car? And I call security. Uh, we can't see it anywhere. Are you looking at the security cameras? Yeah, we can't see it. Turns out he had parked it in the shadows where the ca- cameras can't see anything. Worst friend ever. So I can't find my car, and I go out with the students, and I'm trying to play it cool, but inside, I'm dying. And then somebody gives up the information. Uh, and they said, hey, did you find your car yet? I'm like, okay. And so I decide to get back at you. So he, he calls me, or he's texting me, but at this point in time I was, I was prepping a sermon, because that's what I do every day is I just prep sermons all day long. Um, so I'm at a coffee shop and I'm in spiritual mode. And then he, so he texts me and he says, hey man, um, can I talk to you for a second? So I call him and he said, hey, listen, did you move my car? And I'm like, yeah, yes, I did. He goes, well, listen, somebody broke into my car and broke the windows and stole everything in it. Everything's gone. Everything's just a wreck. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, like I am the worst friend ever. Like I'm going to have to repent for this. I can't afford to pay this on a church's salary. There's no way. I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. Like I'm getting tears in my eyes and he's giggling. And we're doing all this over text, right? And so finally we pick up the phone and I can hear it in his voice. He's like, really? <laughs> really? Are you serious? Are you serious? And I'm like, nah, everything's fine. And I'm like crying. I'm like, oh, this is a funny joke, man. It's good. You got me. I deserved it. I will never get tired of that one. And I'll never get tired of the fact that we get to work together and that we get to live life on the vine together so that as we grow and as we go through life, we will see God not only do things in our friendship, but because we're focused on the life that's coming through the vine, we get to see fruit that comes off the vine in the students that we work with and in our coworkers too. Mm-hmm. So that only happens, brothers and sisters, when we abide, when we remain in Christ, in the vine. And that's what Perry's going to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I love coaching basketball. I've coached basketball at different levels for the for the past 10 years, I would like to consider myself the John Wooden of 8th grade girls basketball. Very skilled. I, can, I feel like I can relate to the, like, the NBA coaches, you know, when they get in the scuffs in games with players over like playing time. The players are like, oh, I'm so mad at my coach in the press conference. I've had similar experiences. There was one game. There was one game. It was our first game of the season. I told the girls that I was coaching, I said, listen, I want all of you to play. All you have to do is, is do one thing 
you just have to wear your jersey. Just, just wear your jersey because it's the rule of the league. You have to have a jersey. They need to know your number so you can play. So the first game happens, and there's one girl named Emma. She didn't wear her jersey. And so in the beginning of the game, I said, Emma, I'm so sorry. Very nicely, I said, you can't play because you don't have your jersey on. She's like, okay. And so the game goes on, and it's fourth quarter. Everybody's going in. We're up by 30 points. Everybody gets to play. And I look over to Emma, and it's quiet in the middle of the game. And she's crying, and she looks up, and she goes, Coach! You're mean, like as loud as she can possibly say. Not a shining moment for me. I put her in. Um, last, last night, somebody booed me. They're like, boo. And I'm like, why would you boo that? That's weird. So I put her in. So you, we all know the, the function of a coach. A coach's, a coach's job is to teach their kids to, to play basketball, to play the, 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 the fundamentals of the game, the ins and outs, and they're to follow the coach. And that's, that's a coach's job. But it would be a really weird thing if I, if I rallied all the girls together during halftime or during a timeout, and I said, okay, everybody, we've got a new chant going on. Let's all put our hands in together. And I'm going to say, on one, two, three, abide in coach. Okay, ready? One, two, three, abide in coach. It'd be weird if I went over and said, okay, no, let's not do that. Let's do remain in me. Okay, ready? One, two, three, remain in me. I'd get fired. But these words like abide and remain and the vine and the gardener, those are specific words, mysterious words that are only meant for Jesus to say. It doesn't make sense if I say that, but when Christ says it, they are powerful. So for us to understand what Christ is talking about. We need to look at the scripture as though the disciples looked at it. We need to see how they would have saw the words of Jesus. So for the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, that would be the disciples. If you don't know the story of the Israelites, they are God's chosen people. They are rescued from captivity, from slavery. God, God, God picks these, these certain people to, to, to represent his grace and his mercy and his justice to the rest of the world. So when Jesus uses the word, the vine, the disciples would really know that word really, really well. In fact, they would go back to a time to when they would remember that God had actually called them Israel, the vine. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. The book of Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 1. And while you catch up, I'll read this slowly. Here's what it says. Let me sing now for my well-beloved, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good fruit. I'm going to say that again. Then he expected it to produce good fruit fruit. Israelites are called the vine, but if we fast forward in the story of how they're living their life, we know that throughout the scriptures, they are not being a vine to the rest of the world. They're not administering justice and goodness and God's holiness to the rest of the world. They're not living out that call in their life. So then we read on in Isaiah and it says this, let me sing now for my well-beloved, a song of my beloved concerning, oops, sorry, wrong part, rewind, what more was there to do for my vineyard? that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm, what I'm going to do. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. Ouch. 
This vine that they were supposed to do, they were not living out that call. God had extended mercy to them, but they were not extending mercy to the rest of the world. So Jesus comes in and he uses the, vi- the imagery of the vine, but then he establishes that not only is, is he a vine, but Jesus says he is the vine. Everybody repeat with me. Jesus is the vine. Go. Amen. Amen. So he establishes that. And then from there, since he says, I am the one true vine, I am the one true Israel, he goes on and he uses the words, abide and remain in me. We see this word over and over again in Greek, abide and remain, they mean the exact same thing. And this word is so important, it's used 118 times throughout the New Testament. And any time we see a word repeated over and over throughout the scriptures, we know that that word has a great deal of importance. One of the interesting things about the word abide and remain is in the Garden of Gethsemane when, when Jesus is with the disciples and he's preparing himself to take on the weight of the sin of the world. When he's prepping for this, he says to the disciples in that moment, he says this, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. The same word that Jesus uses in abide in the, in the vine, he uses the same word in the garden. That's a beautiful thing. And so what I think Jesus is saying to the disciples, and he says the same thing to you and me, is he says, don't leave this place. He doesn't mean proximity like if Jesus was here and like we're right next to him. Like he doesn't mean like this, because if that was the case, the disciples would have been really disappointed upon him ascending into heaven because they can't fly. And so there goes Jesus. And if they're thinking of it in terms of proximity, they'd be really disappointed. So when Jesus says, don't leave this place, here's how we need to see it. When we, are, when we are to abide in Christ, we are open to the entire process of remaining in powerful words, deeds, actions, sacrificial love of Christ. Remembering the life that Christ has lived so we can relinquish control. Relinquish control in our brokenness and, and embrace all that Jesus is. Christ's love becomes our love. We get to remain in the holy love of the Father that surrounds us in all that we are for God's purpose and for God's glory. Amen? And so I want to ask this question, not in, the, in a guilty way, but just to get you to reflect. Either Christ is your vine, or you're making yourself the vine, or somebody else the vine. I'll say that again. Either Christ is your vine and you're abiding in Him, or you're making somebody else your vine, or you're making yourself the vine. I'm sure we can all relate to this. It's Saturday morning or Sunday, or it's Saturday night or Sunday morning and we come to church and we think, I really, really want to connect with God. I really want to connect with Christ. And then all of a sudden a message happens and maybe that message wasn't meant for us that day. Maybe we just didn't really connect with it. And we think, well, there goes my opportunity to remain in God. Here's what I hope for us, for you and me. I hope what happens in that moment, if you didn't fully really connect with God in that moment, that you think, I'm not satisfied with just this Sunday morning. Because I know that the pastor is just an extension of the branch. They are just an extension of the vine. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home and I'm going to open up my scriptures because, Jesus, I'm not satisfied with that. I want more of you. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to live every single day like I'm trying to connect with you because I know that you are reaching out to me. I want to abide and remain in the branch. I don't want to just, I don't want to just rely on a pastor. I, I want to really, really connect with you. There's a sermon by Francis Chan in which he's talking about the relationship between uh, pastors and, and, and the church and the church body, and he uses this illustration about Moses. 
There's that story where Moses is on the top of the mountain and there's, there's all the clouds and Moses is having this conversation with God and the people are at the bottom and he says this, why do the people settle for Moses? Don't they know that they can go to the top of the mountain to be with God? Why would they settle to stay down here when they can go up there and actually be with God and hear with God? Friends, I think it's good to hear from pastors. I think it's good to hear sermons. But why would you just stay here when you can abide yourself and go up and be in the holy presence of God and have this connection with Him, this relationship with Him? That's what God wants for you. Amen? And Jesus goes on in this passage and He says this. He says, apart from Him, apart from making Him your vine, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I've got an idea. Who's got a minivan in this room? Who's got a, anybody got a minivan? Any parents with minivans? Awesome. Okay, Scott, we're going to all pile in your minivan one by one. It'll just take the whole day. No big deal. So we're going to pile in your minivan, and we're going to go to Huntington Gardens. It'll be great. Okay, we're going to go in the area where there's the, the giant flower bed, you know what I'm talking about, with the, like, the different crossbreeds of flowers, like with weird names, like, oh, this is the Orange Julius, and this is the Ronald Reagan. Like, how do they come up with those names? Like, do they run out, run out of names? Like, all of a sudden, like, we've got no more names. So this is Pat. So we all go there and we start to clip out the path of flower. We take the flower. We won't get arrested. So we take that with us and we go to our homes and we plant it in our own little backyard, in our garden. What's going to happen to that flower? What's going to happen? It's going to die, right? Some of you guys are like, I've never gardened before. It's a pop quiz. I, I live in California. All we have is asphalt. It's crazy. Okay. Go to Northern California. There's farms there. I lost my train of thought. Okay, so Jesus is saying, if you don't remain in him, you cannot thrive, you cannot grow, you cannot bear fruit. It doesn't work apart from him, being disconnected from him. It just doesn't work. But when we we are there, when we are abiding in Christ, we have to be open to the entire process of what abiding looks like, of what it, it it means to remain in him. It goes on in the passage to talk about the Father as the gardener. And it says that the the Father approaches us with words like prune and cleanse so that we can can bear more fruit. There's the passage later on in the stories of scriptures when Jesus is with the disciples and he's prepping himself to be, uh, to get in the mode of being crucified. But before that, during the Last Supper, he starts to go to each disciple and he starts to wash the disciples' feet, a very ceremonial, beautiful thing. But then he comes to Peter and Peter with his dirty feet and, and starting to recognize that Christ is the Messiah. He says, no, 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 no. You, I will never let you wash my feet. And then Jesus says something like, Peter, if you don't let me do this, you cannot, you cannot have any part with me. So when Jesus says that, Peter says, head to toe. Then wash me head to toe. All that I am, all that my being is, Jesus, I want you to clean me and change me and prune me from head to toe because if that's the best way, I want it. May that be our heart with God. God, I want to abide in you. I want to remain in you. And all that you are in my brokenness and my flaws, I know that you're not going to leave me in that same place. So God, from head to toe, may you change me and transform me from head to toe. It changes our life. It changes the way that we walk with God. When we look at this passage, it goes from a five-minute devotional to our entire day becomes a devotional. 
It goes from WWJD, what would Jesus do? This is the longest acronym in the world. It's W-I-J-L-D-I-M. What is Jesus' love doing in me? Try writing that one down. It changes us. It's this amazing, beautiful place. Myra on our staff says it gives us purpose. It gives us hope. It gives us purpose. Some of my story, some of you know, but the beginning part of my story of my childhood was filled with, with, with alcoholism and divorce and brokenness and rage and just not the most beautiful thing. And so for me, I would become convinced that I, was, I would step into this world and what I was destined to bear fruit was chaos. I was destined to bear fruit of anger. I was destined to bear fruit of divorce. But then Christ gets a hold of me and says, Perry, remain in me. I died and rose again and all that you are, I rose again for you. And so remain in me. If you step into me, I will let you know that you are destined to bear better fruit than that. You are destined to bear fruit of goodness and hope and joy and beauty. Step into this. Step into your new reality. And so we can come to Christ and sing like the song we, some of us have heard by Will Regan that says, No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love. God, may there be no place I'd rather be than in your presence, than in your power. Christ says to us, remain in my love. Be with me. Perry is right. Chaos, anger, Divorce, these things do not flow through the vine. But do you know what does? Life abundant flows through the vine. He's also right about what the prophets said about the vine. For so long the prophets were pointing the finger at Israel, saying you are not bearing fruit. In Isaiah and Jeremiah, the vineyard is in shambles all the time. In the Psalms, the fruitful vine was a future image and, alas, not something that they had experienced yet. And in Ezekiel, the prophet pronounces that the vine, which is Israel, will become fuel for the fires of judgment. This idyllic image, this sweet image of Jesus, the true vine, who cares for you, is also a double-edged sword because it asks us a question, where do you abide? Perry's question is right. If it's not Jesus, it's something else. And you will not bear good grapes, but useless ones. Where do you abide? There's a way to find out. It's this second concept in the passage. It is fruitfulness. We bear fruit because it's a natural consequence of living life on the vine. And yet, let me be absolutely clear before we launch into talking about fruitfulness. We do not chase fruit for fruitfulness' sake. We chase God in Jesus Christ to be near unto Him, to experience life abundant. Verse 8 tells us that it's the fruit that we bear that proves our discipleship. So, we must ask ourselves, what is this fruitfulness? If you have your Bible open to John chapter 15, you can actually find it a few verses below, verses 9 through 11. It becomes clear that as Jesus is teaching his disciples, 
that he's referring not just hang out with me, not just proximity, but my words have cleansed you. My words have prepared you. The commands that I gave you, you remember the command, right? A new command I give unto you, love one another. If you do this, you will build the body, the family that I came to redeem, the mission that he came down to earth for, if we commit ourselves to building this family. And, Jesus says, your joy, your joy will be made complete. What is this fruitfulness? It is the obedience to the words of Jesus that issue forth in joy in building up the family that Jesus loves and for whom he died. That is the fruitfulness. And what happens to that? Our passage this morning, verses 1 through 8, teach us God is glorified in this growing family of disciples. We do it to please God. If you get a chance to watch this video, to which I amen myself, if that's okay. (laughs) One of the things we know, we live the Christian life, not just because it's a better life, but because it makes our Heavenly Father happy. If you love Him, you will desire to please Him. But too often, we turn this fruitfulness into something that it was never meant to be. I think that frequently we turn the Christian life into a series of abstentions, a series of thou shalt not, things that we will not do. And if there's any doubt, let me tell you a story. Just this past week, I went to Marshall High School. I was invited to speak at the Christian club there. It was my first time on a high school campus in easily over a decade. I was trembling inside. I try not to let them know it. I didn't know that I really had anything worth sharing to them, so I asked them a few questions. I asked them, what is it like to be a Christian at Marshall High School? And I want you to listen carefully to the way that they responded to me, because it's very telling about the kinds of things that young Christians catch from the church, or even their own reading of the Bible. Perhaps it's their stage in life, but... What I know is we must do better because listen to what they said to me. They replied two things. What is it like to be a Christian at Marshall High School? We don't cuss. We don't do drugs. Those are the first two things that they said. I know that they could have said a lot more things, but they issued, the first thing that they said is, thou shalt not. I don't know how we catch that because we know that the Christian life is about something else, isn't it? A new command I give to you love one another. It's about something that we do. It's not about the things that we don't do per se, though those things are critically important. So we began talking together about what would it look like to love your teachers and classmates. I told them a lot of stories about the faithful Christians that I met in high school when I was just starting out in faith. There are so many things that we can do to love others. And Article 8 of our statement of faith says we love others in a particular way. The word that it uses is sacrificially. We love God supremely and we love others sacrificially because of the nature of the love that was shown to us in Jesus Christ in his death on the cross. It was a sacrificial kind of love. You know, many times I think that Christian leaders, including myself, we become more than a little afraid of asking too much of you. 
Surely we could not ask too much of our congregation. We become afraid that we're being too harsh. We become afraid that we're prescribing for you what we do not do ourselves. And so I am quite relieved this morning that I get to stand behind what I think are wise words in Article 8 of our Statement of Faith that teach us to love God supremely and love others sacrificially. What does that look like? It means that we're giving of ourselves. We're giving in the way that Jesus gave. It hurt Him. It is sacrificial for us. That's the nature of our giving. We stand behind these words because they reflect Jesus' own teaching and the teaching of the whole of Scripture. And so I'm not afraid to say to you, brothers and sisters, that Jesus asks nothing less than everything. And he desires that from you and from me. You see, I am inspired by people who give everything. We love these kinds of stories. I think we do. I'm inspired by the Apostle Paul. You remember him. Beaten within an inch of his life. Shipwrecked. And imprisoned. So that he has to write to his young disciple Timothy, my life is being poured out like a drink offering. I'm inspired to pray fervently for Matt and Grace Huang, who we trust into the hands of God. I was inspired by my mailman in college, Herschel. He always went above and beyond to pray for each of the college students to whom he delivered the mail. And when he could no longer stand because of the toll that chemotherapy was taking on his body, he lifted a faithful hand in praise and prayer to the God in whom he abided. He inspires me. I'm inspired by businessmen and businesswomen who milk every penny for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I'm inspired by college students and young adults that I have the privilege of working with. Do you see what's happening? Life flows through the vine, and no matter who you are, whether you consider yourself great or small, the life that flows through the vine has power for you. And so I want to tell you about one of our college students. Her name is Dulce, and I was texting with her madly yesterday. You should see it. It's pages and pages long. I could only carve out a few excerpts, I asked her to share with me her story and she gave me permission to tell some of you. She came to us in 2013 and she came to us in a pretty dire situation. She was deeply depressed and she came to my office and I started to learn her story and to walk with her. This is what she writes to us. I honestly didn't even know why I went to Lake. All that was on my mind was dark thoughts of death. I literally didn't want to be in the world anymore. It was about nine at night, and every door was locked, except the main door was wide open. I walked in and sat there and cried. And a volunteer librarian found me crying. I don't know if you're in here this morning, but if you are, I want to speak with you. That volunteer librarian, she found Pastor Walter and he promised that if I came back the next day, he would see, uh, he would see me first thing in the morning. So I did come back. He comforted me and gave me advice. He offered for the church to help me. Listen to this now. This was the first time I really felt the love of Christ. 
I was so taken aback by how much you all loved on me. You didn't even know me, but you invested in me and helped my family. That summer, I started attending Lake regularly and getting involved in young adult group. This is when I started to open my heart to Christ. On August 25th, 2013, I gave my life to Christ. And on October 13th, I was baptized. Do you see what happens when you get connected to the vine? Someone whose mind was trained on thoughts of death becomes alive because there is life in the vine. But it doesn't just end there. We branches, we bear fruit. So she kept texting me. She said, this past summer I went on my first mission trip to Spain. I hosted cheer camps. She's a cheerleader. This was such an awesome opportunity because Christ gifted me with a passion for competitive cheerleading and I used it to expand his kingdom. That's a new one for me. I've never heard that before. So I'm deeply impressed. I have been given many opportunities on campus that have really allowed me to grow spiritually. I work with incoming freshmen and guide them through their first semester in college. It's also a ministry to freshmen because we get to share the gospel with them and to disciple them. I have set a goal for myself to meet with two of my teammates and share the gospel with them. I am currently mentoring two. Fruit. Fruit. Disciples. We bear fruit, and someone who comes to us meets Jesus and begins to bear fruit. I hope you can catch a glimpse, because she came to us consumed with thoughts of death, and she concludes her texting with this, I am made new through the Lord Jesus Christ and cannot imagine my life without a relationship with Him. We are transformed. No chaos, no anger. Life and life to the full. This is the promise. But too often we see pretenders. You know the type. There are some folks who just want to look busy or maybe feel important. You've seen it and so have I. You also know the type. They're really giving. Their life is consumed with giving away to others all the while they're not aware that their own family is headed for shipwreck. You've seen it. I've seen it too. But you know what? In God's great mercy and wisdom, we, with all our mixed motivations, maladjustment and dysfunction, we still bear fruit when we're connected to the vine somehow. You see, it's really not about us and not about our weakness nor our strength because we have caught a glimpse this morning of the power that flows through the vine. It is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and it can outperform all your weakness. So, brothers and sisters, do not fear sacrificial love. Do not Fear sacrificing yourself. Truly, Jesus said, if you died with me, you will be raised to new life. This sacrificial life, captured in Article 8, tells us that we live a life of compassion toward the poor and justice for the oppressed. These are very practical things because, brothers and sisters, sympathy is not fruit. 
It doesn't go far enough. It's a great start. Sympathy is not fruit. I was talking with Perry and we we were wondering together, what if Jesus saw someone in dire need and said, Ah, man, I am stirred inside, but did nothing. I think history would be quite different. If you hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness, I have good news for you. Here at Lake Avenue, we have so many ways to act on this godly desire that you would see justice for the oppressed. From tutoring to mentoring with the Lake Avenue Community Foundation to being being involved in our community, we'll give you a chance at the end of our service to get plugged into the folks who will connect you to the ministries and communities that are faithfully serving this church. Because all of us together... We're doing, when we abide, when we bear fruit, we are following Jesus on his mission to redeem a faithful and holy family. As we've said in previous weeks, it's no longer just that he is redeeming individual disciples, but rather we see what all of the scriptures have been pointing to, the redemption of a family who serves him. We've seen this history We've seen what Jesus has been doing all throughout mission history, starting in the book of Acts, where they do very practical things for one another. But all the way through history, we see stuff like relief, disaster relief. And many of us have been very charitable when it comes to disaster relief. This church, too, has built hospitals, built schools, built churches, so that people could be educated, could receive quality health care right here in our neighborhood, We tutor, we mentor, and we change lives because we care as Jesus taught us. That's what it means to build this family. And we have to do these things, brothers and sisters, because Article 8 tells us we are to combat the spiritual forces of evil. It is those things, those spiritual forces of evil, which create the most hideous kinds of oppression in our world. And so we stand up against all the inequalities that would tear God's people down. The enemy would love nothing better than each one of God's precious creations to suffer without health, without education, without loving family. And we will do differently because of what Jesus taught us. You see, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. And so with prayer... And God's word, we stand faithfully against these kinds of things. Brothers and sisters, there is good news this morning. We have a vine dresser. We have a skilled gardener who cares for his garden. And he will cause the vine to flourish. He will prune it to ensure maximum fruitfulness. Open yourself up to his work in the garden. And brothers and sisters, you will see the nations will enjoy this fruit. They will taste and see that the Lord is good to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. So that His kingdom might come, and that we might live faithful lives of service, loving God supremely and others sacrificially. Brothers and sisters, let us pray. To the good gardener who loves us and knows what he is doing. Draw us, O Father, into the life 
of joy that we find in obeying the words which prepared us for the ministry you have for us in this world. God, we love the joy of serving you. Perry and I together, we have fun and we experience heights unlike any other thing because you are at work in us. Lord, if there's anyone here who's not connected to the vine, we pray that they might taste, taste the fruit and desire to be connected to you. Would that all of us, we branches, Lord, bear the fruit that the nations could taste and see that indeed you love us, you are good to us, you care for us, and you will bring justice and mercy when you come again. Lord, would that be true of this people, we pray. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen.